The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, Rob Norman is the ACL State Director for Queensland. Big things happening not only in his state but around the nation. Rob Norman, a special welcome back to 2020. Always good to be with you, Neil. Hey, Rob, can't start with anything other than the most up-to-date issue and thing that has been happening. Of course, this morning, the National Prayer Breakfast has been on in Canberra, and uh, even the likes of the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, addressing the breakfast, and lots of other dignitaries, no doubt, were there, and no doubt there was some of the team from ACL there as well. Uh, Have you heard anything at all? I haven't had a direct update Neil, but I think um, this is a fantastic event, obviously, and isn't it great when we've got our national leaders gathering around uh, the Word of God and around prayer, and uh, particularly people like Peter Dutton, who acknowledged many of the uh, world issues going on, many of the things that we face domestically, and really saying that um, outside of God, you know, we don't have a, a whole lot of hope, and so I, I take great solace in that. I think we can all, as Christians, um, be encouraged that we have leaders that acknowledge that God's real and that we need to come to him in prayer. So, yeah, great event, Neil, great event. Uh, In fact, a little bit of earlier research, and uh, I found Peter Dutton's speech online, and uh, listeners can find that too. Just, I think, uh, Google National Prayer Breakfast. Somehow or other, you'll get some sort of direction to that. Uh, But a very uh, important speech and certainly talking about faith in the way that politicians do. And I think you've had a a chance to have a little look at that speech too. Any thoughts on the sorts of sentiments that he was relaying, Rob? Yeah, look, I think uh, Peter Peter Dutton has displayed the fact that he does have a faith base. Um, You know, we don't know the extent of that. He's quite a, a private person, but... I think it's revealing that that he acknowledges that faith is central to to um, you know to the way Australia uh, sits, and that we have we have essentially in our past at least a strong faith based that feeds uh, and speaks to our present situation, and I think it's, that's encouraging. One of the things I find encouraging too is that uh, he didn't just stand up and deliver a speech; he actually led the gathering there in prayer at the end. So uh, a little bit of special honour for Peter Dutton uh, for standing up and talking about faith and the importance of it uh, in a nation that could be facing crisis. Uh, Speaking of crisis, Rob, uh, some protests again on the streets over the weekend. Of course, it was Remembrance Day on Saturday and uh, there were some other protests that were going on the street distracting from some of that. Uh, Any thoughts about uh, protests, uh, those who are... uh, you know, on the streets, and in some sense, it looks very much like uh, Australia's own form of a growing anti-Semitism. But uh, what are your thoughts for uh, more of the protests over the weekend? Yeah, this is an alarming trend, Neil. It's uh, obviously a global thing that we're experiencing domestically here as well. Um, One of the things that alarms people like me and, and others at ACL is that we, we're not hearing a lot come out of uh, the Islamic leaders. It would be, I think, comforting to hear a perspective from um, Islamic leaders in Australia that really addresses the elephant in the room, and that's the fact that 
it's actually Hamas that's causing the problems here. And so um, we shouldn't remember that, shouldn't forget, I should say, that it's Hamas that massacred hundreds of defenceless civilians, including women and children, and that they're currently holding 240 hostages. Um, Israel obviously has a right to defend itself, um, and it's, you know, very much facing existential threats. So, you know, we don't want to take sides in that are polar polar opposites. We don't want to be binary in the way we choose sides. But, um, you know, it's very obvious to many, Neil, that this there is an anti-Semitic uprising taking place and it, it needs to be addressed. And I think the people best positioned to do that would be Islamic leaders. And so, um, you know, I would really call on them to speak out against Hamas. And, of course, those thousands of protesters uh, that are marching with the Palestinian flag and uh, all sorts of signs and, and um, you know, we're aware that there's all sorts of chants which are very anti-Semitic, uh, we might mm. assume that not everybody in those marches uh, is going to be anti-Semitic in the way that we're thinking of that in its extreme sense, uh, except to say that, uh, and and I know you've got a thought or two around this idea, that some of these protests may be misdirected. And, uh, you know, while people are protesting for the Palestinian people, Hamas has become the enemy in all of this. Any thoughts here about misdirected anger at this time? Yeah, look, that's that's... Absolutely a true point. Um, you know, if these protests in Australia and around the world are anything to go by, then um, the anti-Semitic uprising um, should be directed at Hamas rather than directing anger at the Jews and, you know, those kinds of people. We should be really angry about what Hamas is doing because they've embedded themselves amongst the civilian population. And they're basically using the Palestinian people as a human shield. So this is a cowardly act. It demonstrates the fact that Hamas has control effectively over Palestine and that it has absolutely no regard for life, whether they be Israeli or Palestinian people. So that's where our energy should be focused, I think, Neil. A little short-sighted to my suspicion that some think that this is a conflict that is restricted to the Middle East. But in fact, when these sorts of protests are even allowed to go ahead, we ought to be concerned for Jewish people and their families living in fear, living in suburbs, in fear of their children going out and walking the streets, in fear of being proudly... Uh, Jewish, uh, understanding their own cultural heritage. Uh, that ought not to be happening in Australia. In fact, um, I know that these protests are costing a fortune as well. There's some more news. Premiers over the weekend are saying, hey, uh, federal government, how about uh, helping us to fund some of the cost of security when these protests are happening? There's some estimates could be costing around a million dollars to have all of that police presence every time there's a protest. Any thoughts from you on that, Rob? Yeah, I did hear that, Neil. Um, now, look, obviously we live in a nation that values democracy and people have a right to protest um, and so we we obviously support that but um, it, it is important that uh, you know that we we have laws in place that that basically protect the population against serious vilification and particularly when there's an incitement to uh, you know to any kind of endangerment 
And so when you have people on the streets chanting, uh, you know, things about Jewish people that are obviously an incitement to danger, they need to be addressed. And um, I think very early in the piece, particularly in New South Wales, there was an opportunity to bring these protests to an abrupt end or to at least direct them into more peaceful means. How do you think listeners to our conversation ought to be praying? Uh, You know, we're often saying, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's like a biblical mandate to do that. Uh, What are your thoughts here? And uh, before we move on, just how you think listeners ought to be praying into this situation? We shouldn't underestimate the power of prayer, should we ever? And uh, yes, obviously, uh, I would encourage every one of our listeners to, you know, to be committed to prayer, particularly for the peace of Israel. Um, and that that peace needs to be lasting. There needs to be, uh, you know, a solution to, to the problems, uh, you know, with Gaza and the West Bank and so forth. But the bottom line is, Neil, we should be praying that God would intervene miraculously. And as people of faith, we we live beyond the natural means. We have a supernatural God. Okay, well, let's move on because there's plenty more to say. And I know there's been some pro-Israel demonstrations over the weekend too. And uh, for listeners, uh, you know, be in solidarity with those Jewish brothers and sisters. Oftentimes we talk about our Judeo-Christian heritage. There's a direct link there between the Jewish people and Christians. Hey, Rob, let's move on. There's lots of ground to cover here. Uh, You've spoken at a parliamentary forum on coercive control legislation in Queensland. Uh, What's that all about? Well, Neil, we, um, ACL put in a submission uh, for this bill. So the bill is called the the Coercive Control and Affirmation Consent Bill. Um, That's the short title of it. So we're basically arguing that um, as part of that, the package that the government's put up, that prostitution should be should have a special mention in that bill. Uh, so we, what our argument is is that prostitution is by nature coercive, and so we hear many testimonies in the ACL. We have contacts with survivors of prostitution that very strongly suggest that women are abused, raped, and have all kinds of uh, indecent acts performed on them. Um, as part of prostitution, and that by itself, that in itself is is coercive. Um, the very idea that a man thinks, and it's mostly the men, that a man thinks that if he pays for sex that he has unlimited rights over a woman's body, that is coercive. And so we're asking the government to introduce amendments to that bill um, that would protect women in prostitution. Um, and we're doing that on the basis, Neil, that the government has already signalled that it intends fully decriminalising prostitution in Queensland. So there are always consequences for that kind of legislation. So um, when we think about prostitution, we're thinking about exploitation, we're thinking about trafficking, uh, because uh, those sorts of words, they're strong words, but it makes sense when you say by nature prostitution has this coercive control involved in it. Uh, so really, you've got to have rocks in your head, haven't you, to be thinking that this is a good move. Uh, in some sense, you've been arguing for a different model uh, to be in place. Uh, any, just uh, very quickly, that model, 
And I know they're talking about this in South Australia where they've got an equality model bill that's being debated. Uh, how would this mm. sort of thing apply in states like Queensland, thinking about uh, this uh, new legislation reform around prostitution and what might be going on in South Australia? Yeah, so trafficked women and girls, um, many of these women don't speak English, Neil. They're coming from overseas and and so they don't even know often what kind of industry they're stepping into. A decriminalised sex industry will always be bigger. It'll increase the size of the industry. And so we've advocated for the at least the last 10 years for the Swedish or Nordic or now it's being called the equality model of prostitution reform. And so this was one of the questions that was asked of me at the um, recent inquiry last Monday. And... Um, so I was able to explain to the committee um, that the Nordic model of prostitution reform, which actually criminalizes the buying of sex, and that has the effect of reducing the size of the industry, it also criminalizes the third-party profiteering or the pimping of sex, and it provides government-funded exit paths for prostituted persons. And so it's a, it's a very robust um, model. Um, and the genius of it is that it decriminalizes the selling of sex, which is often, um, you know, kind of counterintuitive. But it means that women or people caught in prostitution are then able to approach law enforcement agencies with, um, you know, with impunity so they can get help. Um, and so the bill in South Australia is a landmark bill. Um, the Honorable Nicola Centafanti, who is an SA an MLC in South Australia tabled this bill and, Neil, it, it is gaining support slowly. So debate is happening on that bill. There's a forum happening this week in the South Australian Parliament and we're watching of the, the progress of the bill with great interest. And if it's enacted, it could set a precedent for other Australian um, jurisdictions. And so it would be a, a fantastic change to the way we see prostitution in Australia. Uh, there's so many laws changing, legislation being passed. Uh, it's sometimes, and we might regrettably say, difficult to keep up with all of the change happening so quickly. Uh, let's move on. There's a, a there's a, another issue to talk about around gender dysphoria and uh, talking about things that are developing in New South Wales. There's been an article that's appeared in The Australian today a growing number of doctors have expressed serious professional concerns about a New South Wales government framework for the treatment of gender dysphoria in children. Uh, how important is it that doctors are speaking out right now, Rob? This is fantastic news, Neil, and unfortunately doctors have not felt safe to speak out on issues such as this because of the, uh, you know, the kind of way we've rushed into an aff affirmative model or an, a model of affirmation. Um, and so both New South Wales and Tasmania are considering conversion therapy legislation, and they're both based on models of affirmation, which essentially means if, um, if a person, and often young people, and as young as 12 even, if they seek to change their gender or their sex, um, then the only option that medical people have or counsellors or pastors or even parents is to affirm the person in that decision. And so um, it's, it's very, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great thing that these doctors are now speaking out and there's a larger group that are speaking out. Um, 
you know, we should be really encouraged by that. And so the rest, the rest of the, the rest of the world, Neil, has is virtually walking away from this affirmation model. Most of Europe now is stepping back from it. We've seen the Tavistock, you know, shut down, and so there is definitely a change happening. And Australia's behind the eight ball. When the, there are so many nations stepping away from the model, uh, we might be concerned that our Australian governments are diving headlong into this uh, affirmation model. So uh, for listeners, you can probably find that article easily in The Australian if you're able to access that. Hey, just quickly, uh, one more issue. Um, the misinformation, disinformation bill. Uh, somebody said to me there's a little bit of good news over the weekend uh, that there's some religious exemptions that have been announced uh, ahead of that all going through into any sort of uh, vote and uh, more debate. Uh, thoughts here from you about religious exemptions? This is a great story, Neil, of people power. And so whereas the, the Labor government had made a statement that they were really full on about introducing this bill by the end of the year, about legislation being enacted. Um, it's been pushed back now to the first half of next year, and um, they've seen the need to introduce uh, exemptions for religious speech or religious speak. Uh, previously, it was only governments that were exempted from misinformation, disinformation. And really, again, Neil, this uh, you know uncovers the fact that once we start controlling what people are allowed to say and not allowed to say, we then start filling, trying to plug all the holes and all the problems with it. And so often a bill like this can introduce bigger problems than they're trying to fix. It is good news. Um, it shouldn't, I imagine, distract from the thought that if there's a government department that becomes the arbiter of what is true, uh, that that's got a major problem for freedom of speech right across the board uh, throughout the nation, perhaps throughout the world. Uh, so for listeners to connect with the Australian Christian lobby, as I always say, uh, very, very good to keep up to date with the changing circumstances and the legislation that's coming before our parliaments, be they state parliaments or our federal parliament, and for the sorts of insights that you're often looking for, thinking, well, what is the Christian position on that particular issue? Let me point you to the ACL website, acl.org.au, the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. Rob Norman is ACL State Director for Queensland. Rob, thanks so much for another great update today on 2020. God bless you, Neil. God bless your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 